Welcome to this episode of the Think Wildlife Podcast. Today I speak to Mr. Kishore Rite, who is the founder and director of the Satpura Foundation. The Satpura Foundation works predominantly on tiger conservation in central India. In 2022, Kishore was also appointed as a director of the Bombay Natural History Society, which is one of the oldest and most prestigious wildlife NGOs in India, focusing on lesser um, known species such as the Great Indian Bustard and the Lesser Florican. Welcome, Kishore, sir, to our podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here to talk about the great work you have done with Satpura Foundation. In 2001, you established Satpura Foundation. What was the idea behind this and what is your long-term vision? So, uh, it's uh, actually... Uh, I had already started working since 1990s uh, in and around Melghat and established one organization called Nature Conservation Society Amravati, mainly to work on education, conservation, uh, wildlife protection. And I had already set up uh, the conservation model in Melghat. And I wanted to replicate that model across the Satpura landscape. And I had already decided to spend my whole life for uh, the conservation. And uh, that's why I thought that I should then have the larger goal uh, in the life. And that's why I decided to uh, set up the Satpura Foundation so that mainly I can replicate what I had done in and around Melghat across the Satpura landscape. And then do some site-specific changes and uh, work on conservation. So that was the whole idea why I set up Satpura Foundation, another organization, in 2001. What makes the Satpura landscape so special? Satpura landscape is a, Satpura is the oldest mountain. And I believe that tiger survival uh, for the long-term basis uh, will be only possible in the mountainous ranges like Satpura or the Western Ghats. And this landscape has got some around 300 rivers which are originating through small and big rivers which are originating through this uh, mountain. And it has dry deciduous forest and it has a sal forest, it has a tick forest and the enormous amount of biodiversity. So that makes the Satpura landscape very special. It is oldest than the Himalayas. So, and the, look, if you look at the biodiversity, uh, uh, the entire ecosystem in the mountainous Satpura landscape is uh, from tigers to forest owlet to mahasir. If you look at the species diversity, that's fantastic. Uh, what are the main threats to the conservation of the Satpura landscape? Uh, initially, when I started, definitely poaching and wildlife trade was the biggest threat. But if you ask me today, infrastructure development, which is taking place all uh, inside the uh, protected area, outside the protected area, in the buffer areas, corridors. So that is really uh, posing a big threat to the biodiversity of Satpura landscape. Poaching, of course, it is controlled, uh, uh, but still poaching is a threat. Uh, 
And another threat that has come uh, in last, especially two decades, that's a pesticide uh, impact on the biodiversity. And recently, climate change is also posing a serious threat to the biodiversity of Sakura landscape. So Central India has the highest population of tigers in the wild, followed closely by the Western Ghats. So what makes this region such a successful tiger conservation story? See, tiger is a that way prolific breeder, but it requires flatlands and rivers. Uh, that means perennial source of water. And that usually in the mountainous range, it is hardly uh, hardly available. But in Satpura landscape, you have the mountainous uh, landscape, but still it has got flatlands and it has got many rivers, though they are seasonal rivers, but that makes it uh, very special. During, during summer season, there is a scarcity of water, which pose challenge before the wildlife and during monsoon and winter, all these rivers uh, get rejuvenated and provide fresh life to all the creatures. So another important aspect is there is a range link hypothesis. That means the northern ranges, northeastern ranges, northern ranges, the central Indian uh, range, uh, that means the Satpura range and the western ghats, eastern ghats, all these ranges used to be linked with each other through the corridors, forest corridors. And that, that connectivity is still available. And uh, I think Satpura has not lost that connectivity and the biodiversity. Uh, and that makes it uh, very special and successful for tiger conservation. And if you look at the tiger population, the way it has increased in especially past 15 years, it has proved that Sarkuda landscape has got the potential to even double the present tiger population. Initially, when I started the work in Vidarbha landscape of Sarkuda landscape, we used to have 150 tigers. Today, they have reached to 400 tigers. And we can reach to 400, uh, 800 tigers in Vidarbha, Vidarbha landscape alone. But for that, we need to protect tiger corridors. And that's a very challenging and crucial job right now. I was going to ask you about the tiger corridors and the importance, which you already spoke about. So what is being done in the Satpura landscape and the greater central Indian landscape to improve the tiger corridors between the protected area network? See, when you talk about the landscape conservation and especially in context of tiger conservation, then tigers require inviolate means human habitation free core areas uh, for uh, to breed safely and same time when tigers disperse around the area called as the buffer area, that also requires the protection. Even tigers uh, flourish in buffer areas and they disperse in the adjoining tiger 
tiger areas like the tiger reserve or any protected area like sanctuary national park they requires corridor for the safe migration from one area to other area we call it a sourcing dynamics and just for these two things uh, it is very essential to protect the tiger corridors between two uh, tiger areas they may be tiger reserves they may be other protected areas like sanctuaries national parks but connectivity forest connectivity especially is important tigers do disperse through even agricultural landscape but they pose serious threat like poaching etc and that's why safe passage through forest connectivity is essential in satpura landscape the satpura foundation has helped with the relocation of 10 villages from tiger reserves in maharashtra so what is the idea of relocating these villages from protected areas to outside see as i said tiger is a prolific breeder but it requires inviolate that means human habitation free core areas and that requires around 1000 to 1200 square kilometer inviolate area for the safe breeding and that's impossible because all our protected areas uh, uh, areas are of just 200 to 300 square kilometer size and that's why you need bigger areas there are hardly few tiger reserves where core areas are having 1000 to 1200 square kilometer area available to for the breeding of tigers and that's why if you look at all our 50 uh, 3 tiger reserves in india uh, you don't have the situation where you have 1000 to 1200 square kilometer area available for the safe breeding of tigers and uh, that was the biggest challenge even in the satpura landscape uh, we have melghat tiger reserve where we have 1200 square kilometer core available but even within that area there were a lot of villages and that's why government of india and especially national tiger conservation authority has decided to relocate some of the villages if those villages are voluntarily ready to get relocated and that is possible because even villagers are facing lot of problems especially their population human population has increased but agriculture land available is the same only 40% households have got the agriculture land 60% households don't have agriculture lands and they are landless they don't have any jobs so that population want to go out close to the market get more avenues jobs or alternate livelihood options available and that's why all these villages also voluntarily ready to get resettled so that was a win win for villagers as well as wildlife and that's why national tiger conservation authority has announced a good package of relocation and that's how uh, we could announce that package and uh, satpura foundation nature conservation society all the organizations working in central india they have actually taken this package to the villagers and ensured that no 
nobody in the village is unsatisfied. They should definitely get all the civic amenities and all the benefits of the package. And that's why it, it is just like win-win. And people do initially were not believing that voluntarily it is possible. But yes, voluntary relocation is possible. And that has shown and proved in central India. Village resettlement for conservation is often very controversial in India. Why is this the case? And what are some of the key challenges to village resettlements? See, Indian uh, government have initially and even today have made it clear that villages can be resettled only if they are voluntarily ready to resettle. And that's why it's a voluntary relocation. So in voluntary relocation, the biggest challenge is villagers want the better options close to the markets. What is their requirement? Their requirement is they should get enough agriculture land. That agriculture land should be free from wildlife depredation. And then there should be better job opportunities available at that location. So, India is an overpopulated country and getting such kind of agriculture lands available for each and every household and getting enough job opportunities available all together at one location is hardly possible. And that's why that was the biggest challenge. So, that makes the entire rate of village, village relocation very slow. And uh, as it is voluntarily, voluntary relocation, villagers have to go and find out these kind of lands and availability of agriculture lands, jobs, etc. And then and then only they give consent to the government. And that's when government comes in picture and then they uh, extend resettlement package to the families. That is that was the that that was the challenge. Second challenge was. Uh, sensibility uh, of, of the officers because uh, village relocation is just like a birth of a village and as every birth is uh, very uh, uh, tedious so birth of a village is a very big uh, event and in that we need to have the sensible officers so when you get the proper uh, sensible officers and a good leadership in the village and good NGOs, when they all come together, you make their village relocation successful. And that is what has been achieved in central India. And even the senior government officers have ensured that some sensible officers get posted in the tiger reserves as well as in the revenue department where village relocation is going on. And that has made village relocation successful in the states like Maharashtra and especially Madhya Pradesh, which comes in the Sapuda landscape. How did you guys tackle the challenges of the relocation of the 10 villages? It's very uh, important to understand any non-government organization or the individual who works with the villagers and who works with the government officers to, on the subject like village relocation, we need to think 
like you are the beneficiary and if that person or his entire household is getting shifted from uh, their original place then what are the challenges that that they will have to face at the new location the new place will be totally new it won't have enough infrastructure and at the beginning and they will face many problems over there so all these problems need to be anticipated by the ngos and that we had anticipated and we spent uh, initially more time to establish this process uh, it was very much important to win the trust because people had bad experiences of village relocation in the, some of the areas they were thrown out they were deprived of even basic civic amenities and that had actually created a challenge uh, before the government to build the trust and that trust building took lot of time in melghat because melghat was the first area from where we had resettled villages so once we establish that trust and the entire process later on with the help of the government it made us very easy for resettlement of other villages but initially for the resettlement of three villages from melghat tiger reserve all of us including the government officers spent more time and to set up the process and make it successful but once it was made successful rest of the villages they came forward and they petitioned for their resettlement and then government came forward to provide same resettlement package in advance way available to these villages so talk a bit about the satpura landscape tiger program which uh, sf is a part of yes uh, see this is the era where multi stakeholders need to come together and work on the convergence because one organization one stakeholder is not competent or capable enough to address all the issues especially when finance is the constraint and there are several other constraints so to resolve this it is very much important that all the stakeholders need to come together and so convergence is the key uh, for the sustainable development and uh, that was achieved when the like minded non government organizations came forward and thanks to bonfire foundation uk uh, which actually brought them together and we had set up the program called satpura lands landscape tiger program in 2004 and initially all the organizations uh, did not know how to work together there were some conflicting issues but later on they handled the situation and they learned how to work together and not only non government organizations they started working together with the government agencies and not only forest department and wildlife department but all other departments like revenue department irrigation department and other departments who are also working on uh, providing uh, 
set up setting up infrastructures etc so uh, that mechanism has now completed 20 years this year and it has successfully established the conservation model and around 10 non-government organizations and then government organizations have shown that if you work together you definitely get success and uh, that's that is also one of the factors why tiger population is increasing and in spite of having some tiger a uh, human uh, tiger conflict still people have also built the tolerance among themselves and now satpura landscape has produced more tigers and tigers are dispersing grabbing corridors buffer areas and then later on corridors and even these organizations working together to address some of the infrastructure issues in the corridors and suggesting avoidance or mitigation strategy to the government and that has just been possible because non-government organizations have learned how to work with the government agencies so satpura foundation is also working on a development of the tiger conservation plan for the navigao nagzira landscape so could you just talk a bit about this conservation plan see uh, tiger conservation plans are different than the wildlife management plans any sanctuary or a national park has got a wildlife management plan and these plans are like the bible or the gita of conservation so uh, tiger conservation plans are specifically prepared to address the requirements scientific and objective requirements of the tiger conservation so that is number one number two tiger reserves have got four buffer and corridors so all the tiger conservation plants must have prescriptions for core like the village resettlement and post-resettlement habitat improvement of the core areas. In buffer, we have to work with the communities, human settlements living in the buffer areas, minimize their anthropogenic pressure on the tiger habitat by providing alternate livelihood options to the villagers and in the corridor there are multiple partners there are multiple government agencies working on different developmental uh, aspects like the irrigation department uh, state electricity board and uh, railways etc so all these agencies need to appreciate that these are the tiger corridors and they are for the long-term development of the country and that's why while conceiving or while uh, implementing these projects developmental projects in the corridor they need to either avoid those corridors or they need to mitigate uh, mitigate and ensure that there is less pressure on the tiger habitat so that's why these tiger uh, tiger conservation plants are very crucial and they guide all the department, all the stakeholders, how to conduct these developmental activities in the buffer areas as well as corridors. And uh, Satpura Foundation and personally, I was on the NTCA committee to guide the tiger conservation plans of all the tiger reserves in central India. And 
Sarkuda Foundation specially provided inputs for uh, for uh, preparing these tiger conservation plants of tiger reserves in Central India. So Sarkuda Foundation is also involved in the eco restoration of degraded landscape. So could you talk about these projects? Yeah, as I said that. Uh, Tigers require inviolate areas and that's why government is uh, working on voluntary village relocation. So once you relocate villages, then you have to restore back those landscapes. After resettlement, usually those empty spaces are grabbed by invasive species like Lantana camara, Prosopis juliflora. So you, you need to uproot those species, you need to restore them. Uh, uh, restore these habitats by planting indigenous grass species and we have worked with the academic institutions and especially some of the scientists, uh, botanists came forward like Dr. Muradkar and they set up the model how to restore these landscapes. So we are closely working with uh, with the specialists like Dr. Muradkar and other institutions, academic institutions, and Tiger Reserve, NGOs, and uh, the institutions. They have formed the collaboration consortium, uh, consortium, and we are restoring those landscapes. So that is uh, being done in the core areas. It is being done in the buffer areas as well as in the corridors. And some of the corridors are really uh they are uh, deteriorated because of overgrazing because of other pressures anthropogenic pressures and these patches are very much important to restore so uh, some of the areas are infested with lantana and prosopis so we are guiding the government and uh, preparing the eco restoration plans as well as helping forest department to uh, helping uh, by providing technical uh, advice uh, for uh, eco-restoration. So how is Sarkara Foundation supporting anti-poaching work in Melga Tiger Reserve? When we started uh, working in and around Melga Tiger Reserve during 1990s, poaching and wildlife trade was the biggest threat that time. And that's why we had to work extensively on uh, to stop poaching and wildlife trade. So initially for 10 years, we had set up our network of informers. We trained the forest officers and other honorary wildlife wardens how to make effective raids, how to gather intelligence, how to process that information, and then how to make raids and then follow up those cases in the court of law. So all that uh, that was done during first 10 years, so 1990 to 2000. And then we had met several raids. We arrested poachers, traders with tiger skins, leopard skins, other wildlife derivatives. And then later on, we, we realized that fighting cases in the court of law and gathering evidence uh, through forest department was a very crucial step. Uh, if you really want to uh, address this particular threat. So we had done that and later on uh, we continued those uh, training programs at different 
uh, in different areas and uh, forest department as well as police department helped in the entire thing and uh, that's why that's how then later on in next 10 years lot of notorious traders and poachers went behind bars and even judicial system has imposed uh, uh, even they rejected bails they imposed uh, fines and in some cases they sent them for imprisonment so all that has made a good impact and uh, we could control tiger poaching and wildlife trade in satpura landscape so satpura foundation also works extensively on alternative livelihood and community conservation projects so could you please elaborate a bit about these projects as i said uh, about poaching and trade so actually there are international gangs there there are interstate gangs who are operating in and around tiger reserves but it is not possible unless they get support of locals and locals will only support these gangs if they are not happy with the pace of development and they are not getting enough jobs locally so that's why later on in after uh, 2000 we have focused all our activities on providing alternate livelihoods as well as jobs to especially tribal youths and uh, then for almost 10 years we have provided jobs to around 5000 tribal youths uh, in the form of gypsy drivers to hospitality hospitality and uh, tourism management and they became the ambassador for tiger protection so when you make them partner and now the same tribal youths proudly show the tigers on their livelihood uh, what their gypsies what their vehicles even some of them have got jobs uh, in the at the block level and this has this this was the game changer i think uh, today the community especially if they are deprived of livelihood options then they cannot support you in conservation and in central india it has shown that it is possible conservation has got a potential to provide alternate livelihoods conservation based livelihoods as well as jobs to thousands of people and especially the tribal youths so this model i think need to be adopted in the green skill program of the government of india and the state governments because due to that program you can you, we were able to protect the tigers and that is possible even for protecting and conserving other wildlife species so you were recently appointed as the director of the bombay natural history society how does it feel to be appointed to appointed to this role at such a prestigious and historic conservation organization see while working through nature conservation society amravati or satpura foundation i was always associated with bombay natural history society because bnhs is a umbrella organization and bnhs is 140 years old organization 
working with so many government and non-government organizations across the country. So I was always associated with BNHS. I became life member of BNHS at very early age. Early age. And then I became the, the uh, member of the governing council of BNHS. Later on, I got elected in 2022 as a honorary sec secretary of BNHS. And recently, I got uh, uh, selected as a director of BNHS. So it's yes, it's a proud moment because I have worked with this society since last 25 years and have seen big people working for this organization. And the people like stalwarts like S.H. Prater, Santa Pau, all they have worked because this organization was set up in 1883. And uh, it is later on known by Dr. Salim Ali, Humayun Abdul Ali. And uh, they have done exemplary work through this society. So today I feel really proud uh, to become work as a director of this organization. Our focus is on lesser known species and the landscapes. Uh, so uh, that's what BNHS is working right now. So could you just provide us a very brief history of BNHS? See, BNHS history is uh, similar to the history uh, of India and especially for last uh, 150 years. BNHS was established in 1883. We need to also understand that forest department was set up by British in 1864. And just after 20 years, BNHS was established by the same uh, British officers. British officers, army officers especially, they were working in central India that time. And many officers uh, uh, used to shoot, hunt the wild animals, collect their trophies. Some of the officers were very keen in, in investigation and then uh, observing those trophies and then doing detailed study. And uh, they used to share their observations. And that's when they decided that let's establish one organization like Bombay Naturalist Society in 1883. They had six British and two Indians uh, had set up this organization. And just for exchanging their observations and notes, they thought that we should also start a journal, a scientific journal, and they had started JBNHS in 1886. So this journal, BNHS, has continued to publish in last 136 years continuously, except one year which, uh, when there was a second world war. So BNHS, yes, uh, it has done a lot of things in last 140 years and it is continuously publishing JBNHS journal, which is a very prestigious journal. It has got the oldest library. It has uh, and all these officers and later on Indian scientists, they collected the speci specimen and they were kept preserved at its collection department. So BNHS has got around 
1,40,000 specimen at the Hornbill House in Mumbai and they are well preserved. They were all collected from the old Hindustan which was spread in uh, today's Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Bhutan, Nepal. So all these specimens were collected from these regions. And today, anybody if is interested to do further studies or research on species, they have got this these specimens available for the further research. And so this is a treasure for all the scientists and for further studies like genetic studies, etc. These specimens kept at the BNHS collection department and also the oldest books of natural history kept in the library of BNHS. They are very valuable assets and youngsters should come and take advantage of this collection. So apart from that, BNHS is also involved in a lot of other projects in the field. So what is your long-term vision at PNHS? See, our long-term vision is already described by the governing council of BNHS and uh, all the governing council members are very knowledgeable, very experienced and they have almost already spent 20, 30, 40 years in the field. So we have decided to focus on lesser known species like Great Indian Bustard, Lesser Floricon, Vultures, Green Munia, Fins Weaver Baya, Indian Schemers, so these kind of species. Now, all these species, if you look at their populations, they are either less than 1000 or less than 500 or less than 100. So, if you compare it with all other charismatic species like tigers, which, which are more than 4000 available in India, these species are either 1,000 or less than uh, 100. So our priority is protecting these lesser known species through ex situ and in situ conservation simultaneously because some of the species really need the conservation breeding in the captivity so that we can release them in the wild and then ensure that these species do not go extinct. So that's our uh, at, uh, highest priority right now. What have been some of your most prominent challenges you have faced during your conservation career? See, I remember the past 30-35 years of my life uh, of working in the Central Indian Highlands and Sarkuda landscape. First 15 years were really tough because I did not have any identity and I was young, a student, understanding, learning most of the aspects. And also, whenever youngsters like me see injustice or see some uh, uh, deterioration, destruction of nature, then obviously uh, you jump on and to address that particular issue. So, first 15 years were really tough because I was without resources, I was without any assistance, I was without any guidance. And then slowly, I could get support of like-minded people, like-minded friends, 
experts, other mentors, and I got very good mentors uh, during that period, and even later on till today, who helped me to overcome through these hurdles. Fighting with poachers and traders was a tough job initially, and uh, later on, infrastructure proponents also. Uh, because they came with a lot of infrastructure projects in the buffer areas and corridors. But by that time, I became part of the government expert committees where I could address these infrastructure projects. So we had given them some, some of the places we had almost said no and to avoid, uh, ask them to avoid the particular tiger habitat and they did it. Uh, like the Melghat railway line, etc., has actually saved the core area of Melghat. And uh, similarly, there are a lot of examples where infrastructure agencies also uh, avoided those areas, virgin areas. And later on, uh, later on, we work with the infrastructure uh, proponents, project proponents, to uh, evolve the mitigation measures. And that also worked in some of the areas. Consultation with the government to win their trust uh, was, uh, was my focus initially. And that has really helped me a lot because initially government officers who were not understanding our position through consultations, they came to the same page and then they only suggested us uh, the way out and that has really made the further battle simple. Media helped us a lot to spread the entire conservation battle to the uh, um, masses and we could gather support because of the media and whenever we found that the government system is not listening, not sensible and in spite of media campaigns they are not giving us positive support, then we approach to the judicial system. And their judicial system has helped us because we were following the legal framework of this country. So this particular approach has, has actually made our uh, campaigns, made our targets easy. But yes, there were a lot of challenges while overcoming, uh, uh, while uh, addressing these issues and getting successes. So what have been some of your biggest learnings from your conservation career? I would say that we need to be prepared to stay long in a particular landscape. We should not be focused on only few protected areas or few, few wildlife habitats. Our vision should be landscape based and we should be ready to stay for a longer duration of time in the landscape. We need to be consistent. One has to be, one has to fighting spirit and we need to be very open to listen and learn. And we should practice science-based conservation. So these are 
I think these are the biggest lessons for me. And uh, uh, with, with the help of uh, these things, I could really accomplish some of the conservation achievements. So how can individuals contribute to the Satkuda Foundation and the Bombay Natural History Society? Both Satpura Foundation as well as Bombay Natural History Society believe that youngsters can make a difference. And if you want them to be with us in this conservation campaign, then you need to build the capacities of these youngsters. And that is only possible through the programs like internship program, volunteering activity, or networking them to create more awareness or conservation, taking conservation actions or doing research on species and habitats. So BNHS and Sarkuda Foundation both have got a lot of opportunities. Students should definitely come at their early age uh, in these organizations and grab the opportunities like they conduct training courses to build your capacities. You should join them and then you should as I said earlier, you should be ready to stay long, be consistent, and you must have fighting spirit. If all these capabilities you have, definitely you can uh, you can do science-based conservation, and we can you can definitely be part uh, of uh, species conservation and uh, habitat protection. Uh, for the wildlife conservation in India. That was the final question I had for you today. Thank you so much for taking time out for this interview. Thank you, Anish. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Also, I've attached a few links to some of the best books on tiger conservation in India in the description below. So do check them out.